Thanks for downloading or purchasing this sermon from Christchurch Forward. To find out more, visit forwardchurch.co.uk or join us on Sundays. Before we have our first reading from the Bible, let me pray. Our Father in heaven, we thank you for this chance to spend some time reflecting on the final moments of the life of Jesus. Please help us. Please open our eyes and help us to understand and help us to trust in the one that we read about in these moments. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Our first reading from Mark's Gospel is taken from Mark chapter 15 and we begin at verse 1. Mark 15 verse 1. Very early in the morning, the chief priests with the elders, the teachers of the law and the whole Sanhedrin reached a decision. They bound Jesus, led him away and turned him over to Pilate. Are you the king of the Jews? asked Pilate. Yes, it is as you say, Jesus replied. The chief priests accused him of many things. So again, Pilate asked him, aren't you going to answer? See how many things they are accusing you of. But Jesus still made no reply, and Pilate was amazed. Now, it was the custom at the feast to, to release a prisoner whom the people requested. A man called Barabbas was in prison with the insurrectionists, who had committed murder in the uprising. The crowd came up and asked Pilate to do for them what he usually did. Do you want me to release to you the king of the Jews? asked Pilate, knowing it was out of envy that the chief priests had handed Jesus over to him. But the chief priests stirred up the crowd to have Pilate release Barabbas instead. What shall I do then with the one you call the king of the Jews? Pilate asked. Crucify him, they shouted. Why? What crime has he committed? asked Pilate. But they shouted all the louder, crucify him. Wanting to satisfy the crowd, Pilate released Barabbas to them. He had Jesus flogged and handed him over to be crucified. And so we come to the trial of Jesus. He is before Pilate, his his life is on the line. And the moment comes for the evidence to be weighed. And what is striking about Mark's account of this trial is how little time is given to uh, show us the details of the accusations against him. In fact, just one verse does it. Verse three, the chief priests accused him of many things. Think of a trial today. If someone's life was at stake, you can imagine there would be boxes and boxes of witness statements being wheeled into court. There would be a a queue of experts lining up to give their opinions. It would take days and days. But here, as Jesus' life is on trial, there's very little given to us about the nature of the evidence, the accusations, because this trial is not about the evidence. It's about the human hearts of those involved. Mark's focus shifts from the accusations to this side character called Barabbas. And the key question through this trial scene becomes whether Barabbas or Jesus will go free. 
Barabbas is clearly a guilty man. We read in verse 7 that he is part of a crowd who rebelled against the government and who had murdered people. He deserved to be in prison. Jesus, well, he was only guilty of telling the truth about who he really was, the king of the Jews. But as this trial scene progresses, the uncomfortable truth is that everyone involved ends up agreeing that it is a good thing for the guilty man to go free and the innocent man to die. Why does that happen? Because this trial is not about evidence, it is about the human heart. Let's look at some of the key actors in this story. First, the chief priests. Look at verse 9. Do you want me to release to you the king of the Jews? Asked Pilate, knowing it was out of envy that the chief priests had handed Jesus over to him. You see, Pilate, Pilate cuts through the, the, the pretense. This trial, all the charges against Jesus, that wasn't the real issue going on here at all. It was envy that was motivating these chief priests. They were envious of Jesus and his power over sickness. They were envy, envious of him when it comes to his authority teaching the scriptures, for his power over the wind and the waves, for his popularity with the crowds. They were envious enough to kill him. Imagine in your work, a new colleague starts and they are good at everything. Everything that you're good at, they are better. How would you feel? My guess is many of us would feel envious. Well, the chief priests, they are envious of, of Jesus, envious enough to kill him. That's the chief priests. Uh, next, the crowds. Look at verse 11. But the chief priests stood at the crowd to have Pilate release Barabbas instead. My guess is that many of us like to think of ourselves as, as free thinkers. We have a decision to make. We look at all the evidence, we weigh it up, we come to a rational conclusion, and then we, we go forward. But here in this trial scene, the crowds are simply swayed by their leaders. They have no idea if Jesus is guilty of the things he's accused of or not. They don't care. They just go with the flow. And so when Pilate um, checks with them, are you sure? In verse 14, they simply shout even louder, crucify him. These crowds simply go with the flow. They are willing to allow an innocent man to die simply because that's what everyone else seems to want as well. And today, we are far more influenced by what people around us think than we would like to admit. If someone says to us that they think Jesus should be consigned to the dustbin of history, so many of us agree with them just because someone else thinks it rather than because we've looked at the evidence either way. The chief priests, the crowds, and finally Pilate. Look at verse 15. Wanting to satisfy the crowd, Pilate released Barabbas to them. He had Jesus flogged and handed him over to be crucified. Pilate is worried about the opinion polls. He wants to be popular. 
he's so worried that he's happy to allow a man he thinks probably is innocent to, to go and die simply to appease the crowds. He wants to fit in. And it's so often the case when it comes to our decisions as humans, we're far more influenced by a desire to be popular and to be wanted and loved than by what is right and wrong. And so at the end of this trial, the guilty Barabbas is freed and the innocent Jesus is condemned to die. Because this trial is not about the evidence, but about the human heart. And as we reflect on these ancient events, perhaps we might reflect on our own hearts to see where there may be envy, a willingness to simply go along with the crowd, a desire to be popular and at the centre of things. And as we reflect, I wonder what would we have done if we had been present all those years ago and part of that trial scene. We're going to turn now to pray. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, as we see a guilty man set free and an innocent man condemned to die, so we see the human heart exposed with its envy with its tendency to follow the crowd, with its desire to be popular. And so, Father, with the psalmist, we pray, search me, O God, and know my heart. See if there is any offence in me and lead me in the way everlasting. Father, on this Good Friday, Help us to reflect with sober judgment on our own hearts. We thank you that Jesus was willing to endure such injustice for our sake. Thank you that he did not speak out in his defence, but willingly chose the way of the cross, the innocent dying in the place of the guilty. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. We come now to our second reading from Mark's Gospel. It's Mark chapter 15, beginning at verse 16. The soldiers led Jesus away into the palace, that is, the praetorium, and called together the whole company of soldiers. They put a purple robe on him, then twisted together a crown of thorns, and set it on him. And they began to call out to him, Hail, King of the Jews! Again and again they struck him on the head with a staff and spat on him. Falling on their knees, they paid homage to him. And when they had mocked him, they took off the purple robe and put his own clothes on him. Then they led him out to crucify him. A certain man from Cyrene, Simon, the father of Alexander and Rufus, was passing by on his way in from the country, and they forced him to carry the cross. They brought Jesus to the place called Golgotha, which means the place of the skull. Then they offered him wine mixed with myrrh, but he did not take it. And they crucified him, 
Dividing up his clothes, they cast lots to see what each would get. It was the third hour when they crucified him. The written notice of the charge against him read, The King of the Jews. They crucified two robbers with him, one on his right and one on his left. Those who passed by hurled insults at him, shaking their heads and saying, So, you who are going to destroy the temple and build it in three days, come down from the cross and save yourself. In the same way, the chief priests and the teachers of the law mocked him among themselves. He saved others, they said, but he cannot save himself. Let this Christ, this King of Israel, come down now from the cross that we may see and believe. Those crucified with him also heaped insults on him. Many people today mock Jesus. They use his name as a swear word. They laugh at his promises. They disregard his offer of eternal life. They, they roll their eyes at the thought of a mighty king returning one day to put this world to rights. And as we turn to Mark 15, we see that the mocking of Jesus is nothing new. As Mark records the crucifixion of Jesus, what is striking is how little detail he gives about how the crucifixion took place, but instead how much time he gives to the mocking of Jesus. It is painful to read. The mocking is vicious. It is sustained and it is unified across lots of different people. And yet Mark has a purpose in telling us about the mocking of Jesus. Because as he dies, the mocking of Jesus reveals the mistake. The mocking reveals the mistake about who this man is who is dying on a cross. And many, many people are deeply mistaken. I want to look now at the key characters involved. First, the soldiers. Verse 17. They put a purple robe on him then twisted together a crown of thorns and set it on him. And they began to call out to him, Hail, King of the Jews. They continue, they strike him, they, they spit on him, they bow down in sarcastic homage uh, to this man. And the Romans mock Jesus because they think that a king is meant to crush his enemies, not be killed by them. But the mocking reveals the mistake. Jesus is a king who has come to crush his enemies, but he came to defeat the great enemy of sin, which he will do as he dies on the cross. And at his resurrection, when he's lifted up, he will defeat the great enemy of death. That is the kind of king he is. That is how he crushes his enemies. But be in no doubt that one day this king will return and on that day in the future, every knee will bow, including the very Roman soldiers who in the present bow in sarcastic homage. One day they will bow in awe and fear. The mistake is revealed by the mocking. That's the soldiers. Next, the crowd. When the Romans crucified someone, they would put a board above their head and on it they would outline the charges against the one dying 
And in the case of Jesus, we read in verse 26 that the board read the king of the Jews. You can picture the scene. People walk by and they look up and they see the person and the board and they make a connection. In this case, the crowds, they mock Jesus, verse 29. Those who passed by hurled insults at him, shaking their heads and saying, So, you who are going to destroy the temple and build it in three days, come down now from the cross and save yourself. The crowds mock Jesus because they think a king should keep his promises, not break them. And as they walk by and see Jesus dying on a cross, they recall to mind a particular promise he made about how one day he would destroy the temple and then rebuild it. And as they see him hanging on a cross dying, they mock him because they think that he has broken his promise. But the mocking reveals the mistake. Because even as Jesus is dying, he is destroying the temple. We'll see in our, in our next reading that as he dies, the, the great curtain temple, the curtain in the temple will be torn in two and the temple is destroyed, no longer needed because Christ is the once for all perfect sacrifice. The mocking reveals the mistake. Jesus does keep every promise he ever made, including all the promises about his certain death and his resurrection. The soldiers, the crowds, finally, the Jewish leaders. Verse 31. In the same way, the chief priests and the teachers of the law mocked him among themselves. He saved others, they said, but he cannot save himself. These Jewish leaders mock Jesus because they think a king should save his people, not be killed by them. But the mocking reveals the mistake because even as Jesus dies on the cross that is how he does save his people and yet the Jews didn't realize it for them salvation that they wanted from God well it was political it was economic but Jesus is the king who has come to save us from our sins and to bring us eternal life the, the mocking reveals the mistake. And today, when people mock Jesus, it reveals their mistake about who he really is. Be in no doubt, he is the true king. But he's not a king who came the first time with a great army to overwhelm, overwhelm his enemies, but rather he came as a servant to die on the cross for his enemies. He is a kind of king who is willing to be mocked and to suffer and to die, that he might give to his people an even greater salvation than political freedom or economic success. And be in no doubt that one day this true king will return for his people and to crush his enemies. Perhaps on this Good Friday, we might reflect on the kind of king Jesus really is, not a king like the world around us once, but God's king. And perhaps we might want to reflect on why people today mock King Jesus and to think through what the right response should be. Let's pray.
Our Father in heaven, on this Good Friday, we look back and wonder that King Jesus was willing to endure such mocking for us. Father, we thank you that Jesus is the kind of king who was willing to suffer, that he was willing to set aside his glory and majesty in order that he might save others. And Father, even as our hearts are full of thankfulness, help us also to look forward to the day when Jesus returns in his full glory and when every knee bows before him. Father, we thank you that on that day, all mocking lips will be silenced and only cries of praise and adoration will be heard. Until that day, help us to be a people who truly understand the kind of King Jesus is, that we might give him the glory he deserves. We pray this in his name. Amen. We come now to our third and final reading from Mark's Gospel. It's Mark chapter 15 and we begin at verse 33. At the sixth hour darkness came over the whole land until the ninth hour. And at the ninth hour, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? When some of those standing near heard this, they said, listen, he's calling Elijah. One man ran, filled a sponge with wine vinegar, put it on a stick and offered it to Jesus to drink. Now leave him alone. Let's see if Elijah comes to take him down, he said. With a loud cry, Jesus breathed his last. The curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. And when the centurion who stood there in front of Jesus heard his cry and saw how he died, he said, surely this man was the son of God. As we come now to think about the death of Jesus, I want to focus in on his final words. We just read them, they're there in verse 34. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? These last few weeks, my guess is that many of us have experienced being cut off from those we love because of this present crisis and the closer the relationship the greater the pain of being cut off and so imagine if you have a school friend that you haven't seen for 20 years then this present isolation well it probably doesn't hurt that much but then perhaps take some work colleagues that we enjoy working with and because we can't go into the office perhaps the pain of not seeing them is slightly greater but then, of course, the pain is much greater indeed if a parent is cut off from a child or a child cut off from a parent. The closer the relationship, the greater the pain of isolation, the greater the pain of being cut off. But even though many of us have experienced great pain in this present crisis, nothing comes close to the pain that we read about as Jesus dies. As he cries out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? It's a cry of great agony because the relationship between God the Father and Jesus is closer than any other relationship 
that's ever taken place in the course of human history. God the Father and God the Son have lived together in a perfect relationship for all of eternity past. Perfect love, perfect knowledge, and a perfect dynamic between the two of them. And even when the Son came to earth and took on flesh, still the Father loved Jesus. And so in the beginning of Mark's Gospel, when he was baptised, as he came up from the water, a voice from heaven cried out, This is my Son, whom I love. With him I am well pleased. And then much later on, in the Garden of Gethsemane, on the eve of his death, and as Jesus contemplated the day to come and all the agony before him, and as he thought about whether he could face going through with the plan, he cried out to his heavenly Father, Not my will, but yours be done. You can see the perfect relationship between God the Father and Jesus. And yet here on the cross, Jesus cries out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why does Jesus make this cry? Why does God the Father turn away from him in his moment of great need? Well, there are two great clues from Mark's account which help us to understand the significance and the agony of this cry of abandonment. The first clue is the darkness. Look at verse 33. At the sixth hour, darkness came over the whole land until the ninth hour. Jews reckoned the time by beginning with sunrise and working forwards. And so the sixth hour, it's six six hours after sunrise, it's noontime, it's the brightest part of the day, and yet darkness descends. And notice the darkness lasts for three hours, far too long to be an eclipse. Now, again and again in the Bible, when there is unexplained darkness, it is because God is judging And when Jesus hangs dying on the cross and darkness ascends, it is a sign that judgment is taking place. We know that Jesus was a perfect man. And yet he took onto his shoulders as he died on the cross the sin and guilt of the whole world. And it's for the world's sin and guilt that judgment comes now as Jesus dies. And that is why, on the cross, Jesus cries out a cry of abandonment. As he carries our sin, the Father turns his face away and he judges the one who carries the sin. This cry of agony, this cry of abandonment, it rules out one very popular view of sin. Many people today uh, claim that In his great love, God will simply ignore our sin. Perhaps we're aware that we've done things wrong, but we say, well, God will just take our sin and he'll brush it under the carpet of his love and he'll just forget about it and ignore it and all will be well. But if that is the case, why did Jesus have to endure such agony of being abandoned by God the Father and having to experience his judgment? The truth is that our sin will not be ignored by God the Father. He cannot. He's too holy for that. The only way 
is for Jesus to carry our sin and to experience God's judgment. And so perhaps on this Good Friday, we might want to pause and reflect on the seriousness of our sin. The only way for it to be taken from us was for Jesus to be cut off from God the Father and to experience his judgment. That's our first clue, the darkness. There is a second clue that explains why Jesus cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? The second clue is the curtain. Look at verse 38. The curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. In the temple in Jerusalem, in between the the outer area and the inner area, there was a a massive curtain, several stories tall, hanging down, marking off the outer from the inner. In the inner area, God dwelt by his spirit. But only the high priest once a year could enter through the curtain into the Holy of Holies. And even then, only after many, many animal sacrifices. On the curtain, it was covered with cherubim woven into the fabric. And the cherubim were like massive do not enter signs all over the curtain. It's a bit like one of those signs you see at an electricity substation with a a person being zapped by a bolt of lightning. And you see the sign and you know that there's danger inside. Don't go in. Well, so too with the cherubim. You cannot enter through the curtain into God's presence. But as Jesus cries out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? As he died on the cross, the curtain is torn from top to bottom, not by a human hand from bottom up, but by a divine hand, top to bottom. It's very significant. There is now a way into God's presence but it's not through the old way of animal sacrifice and via a priest once a year. No, there's a new way into God's presence and it's through the death of Jesus. We saw just a few minutes ago the promise of Jesus that one day he would destroy the temple and then rebuild it. But here this promise comes to pass. As the temple curtain is torn in two, so the temple is destroyed. It is no longer the way to God. But a new way has been opened through the perfect once and for all sacrifice of Jesus. And it's because he was cut off from God the Father. That is why we can be drawn close to him. It's because he was abandoned that we need never be abandoned. Because our sin has been taken from us, we can draw near to God with complete confidence. And that is the other clue. That's why Jesus cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? In the person of Jesus, God the Father was judging the sins of the world, making a new way back to him. And so on this Good Friday, as we remember the death of Jesus, this is why it's a good day. It's a very sad day, but it's a good day because through the death of Jesus, a new way to God has been opened for anyone who turns and trusts in him. Perhaps on this Good Friday, we might want to reflect with joy, thankfulness and humility that Jesus was willing to experience such agony, such separation from God the Father coming under his judgment to create this new way for us to draw near to God. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, 
we thank you that Jesus was willing to experience separation from you so that we might be drawn close. Help us to have a right understanding of the seriousness of our sin that caused Jesus to experience such agony and separation. We thank you that you do not simply ignore sin or brush it under the carpet. But instead, we thank you that Jesus came as the perfect sacrifice for our sin. Help us to be confident that through Jesus, we can draw close to you. And Father, we pray that even as we experience great uncertainty because of the current crisis, we thank you that we can be confident of your love for us when we see that you gave up your son for us. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.